On the podcast today, could a new parking reservation system at Bunsen Lake help curb traffic in the area? Bill Thielman tells me why he thinks densifying the Broadway corridor with towers is fraught with pitfalls for the residents there. And it's Mother's Day, so we talk to a neuroscientist about the benefits to the brain for new moms. This is a great story for today, Mother's Day. We've all heard that expression, mommy brain, for that sleep-deprived state that many moms find themselves in when they're overloaded with responsibilities and maybe they feel a bit forgetful even. Well, my next guest is a neuroscientist who says mom brain isn't a weakness, but a cognitive strength. And secretly, as a mother of two myself, I'm so excited to get some personal validation out of this story. Good morning, Dr. Manka. Good morning, Raji. How are you doing? I'm doing great. So I think I've experienced mom brain uh, more after my first kid, where it felt like my brain was just overloaded with so much appointments, tasks, my work, uh, the house, not to mention the child. Uh, And it felt like, (laughs) yeah, felt like part of my brain uh, said, okay, some trivial stuff is just going to have to go out of necessity. It's just going to fall by the wayside. So maybe I'd forget uh, something from the grocery store or forget to pay a bill on time. But your research shows that this is by nature's design? Yeah, that is uh, that is exactly right. That's what science tells us now. You know, a lot of moms experience it exactly like you said. It feels almost like an overwhelmed feeling of multitasking. I just have too much to do, and of course yeah. I'm going to drop a few balls. But what if I told you that science had a very different way of looking at this, which is that one thing we know about the brain now is that it is constantly rewiring and rebuilding itself in response to what we ask it to do and the world going on around it. Science calls this brain plasticity, and we know the brain is not hardwired like a computer chip. It's, it's softwired. It's rebuilding itself all the time. And that happens at all points in your life, right? So let's say you sat down and worked on learning tennis for a while, right? Your brain would reorganize itself to see the ball faster and swing the racket more accurately. Well, how about becoming a new mom? Well, that's an incredibly intensive change in what your brain needs to do, what your experience is. And as a matter of fact, your brain has been rewiring and reorganizing, starting with pregnancy and then certainly going into the birth of your child. So that feeling that we call mommy brain, you know, maybe we should think of it less as, oh, man, I'm just overwhelmed. I'm multitasking. I can't keep up with everything. And more like my brain has been reorganized because I have this wonderful new person who's come into my life and needs to be the focus of my attention. And my brain is reorganized to make that new person the center of my attention. And yeah, so a few other things are not going to be in my brain as much. Yeah. Is that rewiring permanent or it's something that fades? Well, all rewiring, uh, all rewiring changes as time changes, of course, and as your babies grow into little kids and then grow into teenagers, what your brain needs to do changes as well. And so that rewiring changes. And so in that sense, I think most people eventually feel like, hey, I can, in fact, keep up with everything again. I'm not, I'm not dropping some balls and so forth. And that's because, you know, when we think about having a baby, your attention, and in fact, you know, a dad's attention too, although I think we all know that takes a little more time to kick in than it does for the mom, um, you know, your attention has to be keeping this new creature, you know, alive and happy and healthy. And, uh, and that's what the rewiring of the brain promotes. It promotes you focusing your attention and time on this new life. But as that little baby grows into a toddler, you know, they can look after themselves just a little bit more. And so your brain can continue to reorganize in a way that frees up some of that time and attention and why 
inspiring. So interesting. Yeah, one astounding part of your research looks at, at this learning, this plasticity you're talking about. And it made me think like one day a woman goes from growing a baby inside of her to suddenly having to raise it on the outside and that there's this huge surge of learning that has to happen really quickly. She has to learn how to, mom has to learn how to do a million new things that she didn't have to do, you know, the week before baby was born even. So what drives that learning to even be possible? Is it hormones? You know, you're exactly right. You know, the brain as it changes, you know, if you had a brain that never changed, you might be excellent at something, but you wouldn't be able to learn something new. On the other hand, it's fair to say that when you have a brain that can change and it can learn something new, well, you know, it forgets to do other things. That's what change is all about. And you're right to think that the birth of the baby is sort of the culmination of this moment. So when a woman is pregnant, there's, uh, of course, incredible hormonal activity going on. And one of the most important neurochemicals involved is called oxytocin. And this is a brain chemical that, um, that is broadly involved in reorganizing and brain plasticity across the entire brain, this very kind of broad remodeling that can happen. And it's been shown in all kinds of animal and human studies that the plastic changes promoted by oxytocin actually promote bonding between a mother and a baby or in other kinds of situations between two people. It seems to drive plastic changes in the brain that focus your attention more on someone else who's important in your life, like your new baby. And so when you're pregnant, you're releasing oxytocin, your brain is getting reorganized so that when that magic moment happens and that baby comes out, your brain is ready to focus your attention on you know, making this baby happy and keeping it alive and forming that wonderful bond between a mother and a child. Okay. So it's, uh, it's sort of like everything is ramped up for Super Bowl day. When the baby yeah. comes up and your brain is ready to take care of a baby because taking care of a baby is enormously challenging, as you know. Yeah. You need a tremendous number of cognitive resources to, you know, to do it well and to succeed. Absolutely. And sometimes I think of it, uh, you know, let's say again, let's go back to that tennis player analogy. You know, if you're a top tennis player, your attention would be entirely focused on your opponent and the ball coming at you. You wouldn't notice things going on in the crowd around you, and you wouldn't want to because you need to win that game of tennis. And becoming a new mom is exactly like that. That focus has to come out of the baby and keeping the baby alive and happy and fed and nourished and so forth. You actually don't want focus on all the other distractions of life around you because that job is so important. Yes. Yeah, oxytocin. Is that the reason that, uh, for example, when a mom feels exhausted, she's totally sleep deprived, but she still feels good when she looks at her baby? Is that because of oxytocin? Yeah, yes, I think that's exactly right. The brain is reorganized so that new things become important and rewarding to us. You know, you're exactly right to put it that way. The brain learns and reorganizes based on what is important to the brain. And at some points in our life, maybe what's important is, um, I don't know, succeeding in school or making new friends. And at other points in our life, what becomes really important is this incredible new baby that's in front of us. So oxytocin reorganizes the brain so that succeeding with that baby is reinforcing to our brain. Our brain feels the same way when we make our baby happy that, I don't know, when we take a bite of chocolate, for example, or something like that, that same positive <laughs> reinforcement comes through. Yes, the baby is chocolate, but don't eat it. We're supposed to numb those babies. <laughs> Not quite that far. Um, and so, yeah, that's another way that your brain has reorganized so that the feedback you're getting from the world, in this case your baby, um, promotes the kind of brain activity and brain change you need to succeed with your baby. So in that sense, it's the brain's way of making sure that, uh, that all this happens and goes according to plan. 
So I want to get one more question in here, and that's about motherhood and employment. Some employers think motherhood makes an employee worse at their job, but you found the opposite to be true. <laughs> you know, I'll just speak from my uh, my own um, my own experience as an employer. So I work at a company called Brain HQ. We actually make a brain training program that uses brain plasticity to improve memory, attention, and cognition. And we've had a number of women at the company who've uh, become moms that were working with us. And you know the old adage, if you want something done, give it to a busy person? That, that has been my experience yes. with new moms yes. and experienced moms. They are better than anyone <laughs> after a period of time it's about that, balancing things and getting things done and prioritization. No, seriously, I think a lot of employers have a terrible idea about this, which is, well, that new mom is going to be so busy. And what they don't realize is that, hey, a lot of times at work, people just aren't very efficient. <laughs> really, what you want is very efficient people. Uh, doing your work. And um, I think that's what happens to the brain of a mom after things get rolling is, um, you know, that's that kind of superpower once that brain plasticity has happened to balance all these tasks and prioritize things ruthlessly. And, you know, in the end, just get stuff done. Right, Dr. Monka? (laughs) (laughs) I'm with you on this one. Thank you so much for being on our show this morning. All right. Well, happy Mother's Day to you, and I hope you have some wonderful time with your kids later on today. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Vancouver Mayor Kennedy Stewart says he wants to make the strongest renter protections in Canada, and he wants to do it by creating a very dense development project in the Broadway corridor. However, not everyone is on board with the mayor's plan. Joining us on the line now is president of the communications and lobbying firm Westar Communications, Bill Thielman. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Roger. Happy Mother's Day. (laughs) Thanks for remembering. (laughs) So what are the key points that we're aware of with this proposal? Well, what it is is from Clark Drive in the east to Vine Street in Kitsilano in the west, would, is the Broadway corridor, as it's called, and that would see uh, massive redevelopment with uh, 40-story buildings around Broadway and Granville, uh, around that area, and then 20 to 40 stories uh, for the rest of the corridor. So it would bring, uh, according to Mayor Stewart uh, and Council, 50,000 people into that area already, like more than doubling, uh, I think, the population. And it is an incredible density. It's uh, you know would be uh, you know significantly more density than we've seen in almost any other part of the city, short of perhaps the West End. And uh, it would also destroy thousands of existing affordable housing that's all along that corridor. When we say corridor, it's not simply Broadway, but it's the streets around Broadway as well. And there's a lot of walk-ups, two, three, four-story buildings right now all along there. Uh, on the east and west side, where people are living right now in in very decent, affordable housing that's rent-controlled, that would be disappearing. And so going from two or three or four stories to 20 to 40 is a huge difference. And uh, we, at the rally you mentioned in the promo on this, at the rally, I say we had several hundred people there saying, no, we do not want this. We have not had the kind of democratic uh, consultation and, and neighbors being allowed to hear about this and find out about it, particularly during the pandemic. So we're, we're asking city council or telling city council we don't want it, and uh, it definitely should be postponed past the elections in October. So that protest attracted a lot of people who are very passionate about their neighborhood saying that they don't want this development project to go through. Uh, we heard a lot of concern from people at that uh, protest on, on Global News. They reported that a lot of people were saying uh, that their biggest concern is it's not going to remain affordable in the area. But that's exactly the point that Mayor Stewart is saying that he can come through on, that it will be affordable. What do you think about that? 
I think it's fantasy land. I think I'll read you from the mayor's news release and your listeners and you can decide. But he gives uh, Mayor Stewart gives an example of uh, someone who is in a two bedroom uh, apartment. They pay twenty eight hundred dollars a month in rent. If the building owner decides to replace this building, uh, this person's family will either receive a eleven thousand two hundred dollar payout, which is four months rent. Uh, or the right to return at a rent, new rent of sixteen fifty a month, over forty percent less. What that would mean is taking this person, their family, putting them in temporary uh, housing somewhere in a city where we have about a one percent vacancy rate. Yeah. So I don't know where you'd find them for three to five years while the building is knocked down, development permits go through, and a twenty-story or thirty-story or forty-story building is built up, and then pay their moving expenses to put them back four or five years later at a rent that's 40% less. Yeah, if, that's not, if that's not Fantasyland, I don't know what it is. It's like a, a Disneyland ride or something, but it doesn't exist in the real world. And, you know, so far, uh, Mayor Stewart says he wants to do that. Uh, it's not approved by council yet, but it's also, we have not heard from any significant developers saying, hey, that sounds fantastic. I'll make lots of money doing that, and I can help the community. It's because it's not going to happen. What's going to happen is most of those new rental suites will be smaller, they will be more expensive. They are not affordable housing. They are market rent. And we know what's happening with the market in rental in the city. It's gone up astronomically over the past four years, as have housing prices. So this doesn't solve a problem for anyone looking for affordable housing. It doesn't solve a problem for people who have affordable housing. It just creates a lot of expensive housing. Okay, so we've talked about affordability. Let's talk about just the character of the neighborhood. Uh, what is your concern about how that would change? Well, we have throughout most of Kitsilano uh, height restrictions of about uh, uh, four stories. There's some five and six stories, uh, limited ones that have happened in the last few years. But most people uh, would expect to see, you know, uh, not expect to see 20 to 40 stories all the way up and down Broadway. And it would create a concrete canyon for what is a, a really very livable and important part of our city. And, you know, some people like towers, and that's great. Uh, the West End is great for those who like it and with really high towers and density. But even there, I've talked to people from the West End who are very unhappy about these kind of proposals and that. So there is a real limit. And if we lose, you know, the uh, the height, we completely radically change the skyline of Vancouver and we don't create the kind of affordable housing that we need, then I don't see how this is a win for Vancouver. We can do a better job if you, uh, if your listeners and yourself have had a chance to look at the Arbutus Walk area, which yeah. is pretty much restricted to you know six to eight stories. There's a variety of, of uh, accommodations there, and I think we can do much, much better with uh, a more gentle density increase, and also you know laneway houses as well, and and uh, adding additional houses to existing lots. Um, without losing the character of Vancouver, the livability of Vancouver that we so desperately need. Okay, Bill, you mentioned there that there's a limit to maintaining the character still. So you are embracing the idea of, of switching stuff up a little bit there, but you just don't want to see the very tall buildings. Is that correct? Yeah, I think the towers concept is, is just completely wrong. And, you know, uh, Raji, if you look around the world and you look at uh, amazing cities like Paris, they don't build 40-story towers at their SkyTrain stations or their metros and subways. They actually, in Paris, central Paris restricts the maximum is eight stories. And um, th there's other cities, Barcelona, Amsterdam, London, other places where they are they have preserved the character of the city without while having metro systems and also having significant density. So the, the, the future is, in my view, is low-rise density, not high-rise density. And we haven't even 
talked about the incredible environmental impact if you build um, dozens and dozens and dozens of very high concrete buildings, the impact that has on, on environment and the amount of energy and GHGs that produces as well. So there's an environmental issue there as well. But we really just think this is a, a bad plan and it should be stopped. So, Bill, you also mentioned there, though, the examples of Barcelona and Paris, which have maintained their character because they haven't adopted these towers. But people in those cities who live there also complain that they can't actually live in the city centre because there's no housing. So they have to live way out in the outskirts. Is that what's going to happen here? Well, I think we have some of that already. I think, you know, we we all know people who live in the Fraser Valley and work in, in Surrey or in Vancouver or somewhere else, and so there's a real challenge there. But that's partly because we haven't actually increased the density enough in a way that, that other metropolitan cities around the world have done. So we we do have to increase density, but it should be done in a way where neighbors and neighborhoods agree with it and not uh, and not absolutely say no we don't want to do that because in the long run we need to to all live together and if you change someone's neighborhood for example i live in a four-story apartment just outside the broadway corridor uh, corridor on broadway but i i'm okay with having four store uh, four-story building neighbors etc but if you put a 20-story next to me um you and they completely change the character of this neighborhood and and the way that people have um, the people the kind of neighborhoods that people like I and mean, put things up that are really quite alien to the the rest of the development yeah. that you have there. It's uh, it's going to cause real problems, and that's exactly what this would do and and displace people at the same time. And yet, in a city that attracts as many new residents as we do, I mean, you've seen the numbers. People are coming here in droves. We know developments unavoidable, and just four stories high might not get us to reach that benchmark we need to. Well, I mean, I, as I look out my window, I live in an area where there's lots of single-family dwellings um, going back in through Kitsilano and Point Grey. And I think we have to start changing that. And we have started changing that to some degree with, with laneway houses and carriage houses and more development. And uh, there's other things that we can do before we have to resort to towers because it wouldn't change the entire city. It would change a, a small part of it. But putting 50,000 more people into the Broadway corridor is a massive, massive change. And it uh, it's a densification that's just too far too much. Okay, Bill, that's about all the time we have for that. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. Thank you. With spring warming up just ever so slightly, not quickly enough for myself, uh, maybe you have picnics on the mind. Uh, maybe you're getting ready to spend more time in the outdoors or waiting for summer for that to all happen. Well, the folks who live in the communities with those popular parks are bracing themselves for the increase in traffic to their neighborhoods. Those driving to Bunsen Lake might have to reserve parking spots starting next month. Kyle Donaldson is Senior Media Relations Officer at BC Hydro. He told Jill last Wednesday why they decided to implement online parking reservations. On a really hot summer day or a long weekend, it's not uncommon for the parking lot to reach full capacity very early on in the day. Uh, I think last year we had uh, about uh, more than two dozen instances where the parking lot needed to be closed because it reached capacity very early on in the morning. We're talking at like you know, eight o'clock in the morning. And that created a ripple effect for nearby communities like Anmore, where they received a lot of traffic congestion and a lot of illegal parking in the area. And so that's one of the reasons why we're, we're working ahead here to try out this trial project, which has worked, you know, with BC Parks and other jurisdictions uh, we're, we're going to see if it if it does have an impact on, on the parking lot at Bunsen. Oh, yes. I've seen it myself. And when I've tried to meet my family members or friends, meet up at a big park, 
Park. It's always so wild. A little bit like Hunger Hunger Games when we uh, try to pick a spot that we are going to meet and coordinate for a picnic. So to talk more about this, we're joined by the mayor of Anmore, John McEwen, who's on the line now. Good morning, John. Good morning. Thank you so much for your time this morning. So what has the community around Bunsen Lake uh, noticed in the last couple of years with popularity of that area? It, it's been overwhelming. Um, we, you know, we have a municipality of about 2,500 people, about 1,000 homes, and the effect that people flocking to uh, this destination uh, has had a profound effect, and both both from just a being able to get around the logistics, but also from a financial point of view, because we've been having to bring in extra policing, extra traffic control, tow trucks uh, that we're actually having to pay to make sure the roads stay clear. So it, it's really had a profound effect and it's happened. You know, I've been lobbying with Hydro for probably about the last five years that something had to be fixed in this regards. Did the pandemic play a role in the area's popularity, do you think? Um, it certainly has. You know, I'm also the chair of the regional Metro Vancouver Regional Parks, and we've seen park visitations up substantially. But with Bunsen Lake, we have a limited, I think there's 600 uh, parking stalls there. So what what I think has had a bigger problem is just the increased uh, population in the Tri-Cities. Um, you know, with a lot of these people that are living in, you know, these new condos and towers and stuff like that, when the heat gets to a certain point, without air conditioning, they become inhabitable. So people need to get out into... into uh, into parks to be able to, you know, to manage the, the heat. And, and I think that's where a, a big push has come from this. Okay. Now you mentioned where services have been required, like police and maintenance to deal with those extra visitors. Do you get extra resources for that? We, uh, BC Hydro helps us out a little bit, but it does have a significant impact on our taxpayers. And, um, you know, the big concern that we have is just the safety of the community. We have a, a volunteer fire department and these volunteers, if there is a call, need to be able to get to the fire hall. And with what was happening with all the increase in, in traffic, it, the roads were just uh, were just blocked off. So we had a real, it was a real challenge. And um, that's why we had to bring, finally bring the police in and, you know, all at overtime hours. So it was, it was becoming extremely problematic, extremely concerning for our community. What are you hearing from like the individuals, the residents that live right around there? Oh, they're they're not happy. They can't even get out of their driveway. It seems, uh, just to give you an example, I normally will get up at six in the morning on these weekends and help monitor the situation, help out where I can. And and it is just, there's no regard whatsoever for, uh, you know, just people are just doing whatever they can to get into the lake. And they'll start, um, you know, kind of uh, jockeying cars and uh, queuing up at about, you know, 6.30 in the morning. So wow. we'll have 2,000 cars plugging up all our side streets and it, it is it's unbelievable wow that many so when you're seeing that kind of activity happen on the side streets because the parking lot itself is already filled up uh, do you hear residents saying that they're they've had enough that they are moving yeah they've had enough and it's also frustrating and i feel for the for the people coming to uh to the lake you know uh, i think you know, I'm constantly reminding our residents that this is a regional entity, BC Hydro, that that owns the power. Uh, but just so we're clear, Bunsen Lake is a, its fir- first purpose is the power generation, right? And the secondary purpose is they provided a lake, so yeah, um, for for recreational use. But it has become so popular that it's you know, and I feel for the residents coming in, they're frustrated. You know, they're, the lake opens at eight or or eight thirty, depending on what time they have it set at, and 
they show up at eight and, and there's already 2000 cars waiting to get in. So it is, I feel, so I think this solution, while not perfect, is going to certainly make sure that people won't even head up here if you don't have a pass. So it should really uh, lessen the impact on our community and also on, on the frustration for those traveling there and packing up that they know if they're going to get in or not. So BC Hydro's got this plan to reduce traffic chaos there in the in the Tri-Cities area. Um, what do you think that the reserve parking system has missed out on? Well, I know there's been some concern about the, the hikers that um, that want, that need longer than sort of half a day to be able to facilitate yeah. whatever yeah. they're doing. Uh, you know, I, I recognize that, but, you know, there is still always public transit that, that goes to and from the lake from Coquitlam. In the summer, the BC Transit does a great job of increasing um, the bus service, so you can do that. And, and I would suggest that even for all the park patrons as well. Um, I'm hoping that that will really get people, you know, out of their cars and using transit to get to our get to our uh, lakes. Do you feel like transit currently is adequate enough to supply that? Yeah, it, the, the real problem is, is that they have, you know, they set schedules a week or two in advance and depending on the weather, you know, it, it's tough to predict. So sometimes, you know, if the, if the weather changes on the weekend, those buses are running somewhat, you know, not all that full uh, where other times when the, when the weather does get hot, they're at capacity. But I think this will put a bigger focus on people. If they don't have a pass, they won't drive up. And then the only other alternative will be transit. So I, I'm, I'm hoping that it's really going to increase the transit aspect to the, to the uh, accessibility to the lake. Okay, I know you see it a little bit as a bonus that uh, some visitors are just going to avoid it altogether because they'll be deterred by this uh, reservation system. That would probably be someone like myself, um, just with a family, if I don't get organized uh, early enough that I would be like, okay, well, we'll just, we'll just pass on this. Uh, is there something kind of unfortunate about that? Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, I completely agree. Nothing is perfect. You know, we have, I've fielded a few complaints from some of my residents who, who say, you know, we should be, you know, there should be special access for, for those, you know, that just want to go walk their dog or for residents of Anmore. And as I keep reminding everyone, you know, BC Hydro, we all as a, a British Columbians pay into this. So it is a regional asset and we don't have exclusive rights to this. Um, and so, you know, it's it's sort of a compromise, and uh, we'll see how it goes. I'm I think it's going to greatly reduce the impact on the community for the health and safety, which is my number one concern. Because I was, uh, it was right. alarming to see what was going on. Okay, John McEwen, thank you so much for being with us this morning. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for listening to the Weekend Mornings with Raji Sohal podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And you can listen to the show live on 980 CKNW from 6 to 9 a.m. every Sunday. Have a great week.